You're listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here. Uh, thank you for your blessing and encouragement um, that it's been to me and my family as we've taken the last uh, six weeks off uh, for my annual sabbatical. Um, this time away was very needed, um, and it's been worth it. It's been formative and healing for me, uh, very healing for me. And so thank you to the elders, uh, the staff, and the volunteers for how hard y'all worked, not only at continuing uh, the work of the ministry um, here, but also for how hard you worked to protect me, uh, to give me um, a true break. Um, a lot of... A lot of pastors, very few pastors get sabbaticals. Um, if they do, it's usually after seven years, 14 years, and so forth. That's very unfortunate. Um, and it's why so many pastors drift the way that they do. Um, but even those who take sabbaticals, few get to take them with a true break. There's often many emails, many phone calls, many interruptions. And so though they're not here, they're still here. Uh, and the staff worked remarkably remarkably hard to make sure that my break was a break. They are fantastic. Our staff is wonderful, and I love them dearly and thank them for that and many other things. I also am very appreciative um, for the six men, the six men who faithfully preached God's word to us all in my absence, um, some preaching their very first sermon in front of an audience more than 10 people um, trained this year through our PLC. I received much encouragement and, and comfort from every preacher and every sermon, ultimately encouraged from the Lord, and I'm deeply grateful for their faithfulness and your willingness to be fed by them and to uh, learn from them and be encouraged by them. And as I've been thinking about this time together, the words of the Apostle Paul resonate deeply with me from Romans 1 as he was speaking to the church in Rome. He said, for I long to see you, he said, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And so it's, it's like he caught himself. He's like, I can't wait to see you so I can give you some encouragement. And then he's like, that's not, it's just not me to them. It's mutual. He's like, here's what I mean by that, that you might encourage me and I might encourage you. And this has been something that has been significantly absent and lost over these last six weeks from me is not just me able, hopefully, to encourage you some. Hopefully, you've missed that, but in a way, you haven't because the six faithful men, but I've missed it from y'all. I've missed the encouragement that you are as you receive the word, as you gather, as you serve. This, there's, there's a conversation going on between us, though I'm the only one speaking, um, and how you receive the word is deeply encouraging, and I've missed that. Because you do encourage me, Axis family, and I've missed you, and I love you. And I want you to know that I'm different today compared to how I was when I was last with you. Um, I believe I'm healthier today in all possible ways. I'm more whole in a lot of ways. Um, in some ways, uh, perhaps even more human. Um, I'm more appropriately empathetic and compassionate. I'm certainly more tender of heart. I limped 
and perhaps collapsed my way into this year's sabbatical, unlike any other sabbatical I've taken, as I was in the midst of several months of personal depression. Um, As St. John of the Cross worded it, the dark night of the soul felt more like the dark year of the soul. And so thank you for your prayers, um, for your faithfulness to Jesus and to our sweet church family. Thank you for how you love my family um, and serve my family. It means an awful lot. Also, since we've last seen each other, I've turned 43 years old. Um, didn't have to do much except show up. But Jill and I, uh, we celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary this past Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, congrats to Jill and some pity. Um, but an update on us and our marriage, our friendship, Jill and I are doing really, really well. She's my lady, and I love her so very much. You know, marriage is the most complex and difficult thing to figure out, uh, to work through and to fight through. But by continuing to show up emotionally and not just physically, um, things do get better. It feels like this was the very first anniversary for us because in many ways, emotionally speaking, it's the first one I've shown up for. And um, I, I thank the Lord for his faithfulness and Jill's faithfulness. In fact, I, I texted the, uh, to the staff on Thursday, which was our anniversary, uh, pictures of us. And it's like, this is when we were dating. I had frosted tips. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Hip necklace, chain wallet. Yeah. Um, it's a shame you didn't see those pictures. Um, and then I was like, this is the day we got, the night we got engaged. And then this was us through the years, you know, from 315-pound Jeremy to a beard that weighed five pounds um, to no beard, you know, completely shaven. And Jill's like the same person in all these things. She hasn't aged. It's like she gets more beautiful with time, and I'm just like deteriorating. It's like, what is happening, you know? Um, but um, after I sent all those, I, I, I texted these words. I said, what you can't see in these pictures is clumsiness and sin, nor the forgiveness and the grace of God, but it's all there. And the forgiveness and grace runs deeper than anything else. And so I'd rather not take much more time in catching you up over these last six weeks, but I do want to talk to you about that forgiveness of God and the grace of God. And I will say this as we jump in, the past seven to eight months of my life have been the hardest months of my life. And the past seven to eight months have been the most transformative of my life. I don't want to go through these months again. I don't want to relive these months, but I don't want to unlive them either. At the beginning of each year, your elders preach a vision series of some sort. This year, we entitled it, While We're Here. And then each August, for the last seven, eight years, um, we revisit portions of the first three weeks vision sermon series in August so that we can appropriately stay the course, reminding us of where the elders were, were challenging us and calling us to, to focus on so that we finish the rest of the year on course, fighting the drift in this way as we were to hear. And so on the very first Sunday of every year, for seven years now, I have preached as a part of the series, the vision series, the priority of the Bible in the life of the Christian. And over the past several months, walking through my depression, 
I've learned like never before the importance of the Bible in my life. And to be completely honest, in many ways, it's been the main thing that's kept me alive through these months. Life and depression, addiction and conflict, anxiety and fear, hostility, relational struggle, struggles within, self-image issues, the mirror, jealousy, envy, all these things come at us every day in some way. They don't take sabbaticals. They don't take days off. They toss us around. They shove us. They punch us in the gut. And often they drive us so very far away. And yet every morning, getting up, opening the word of God, even when things are odd with God, which is a phrase that resonated much with me these last several months, especially when things are odd with God. We open the word and we find a rock that we can stand firm on. In the shifting sands of life and the violent waters of our fears, every day you and I have the opportunity to be called back to stability. And this has been the past several months for me. And I've thought about this first sermon back after my sabbatical many times over the last six weeks as I've been trying to mentally assess and prepare my heart for this moment with you. And even now in this moment, much like the first service, I'm, I'm quite nervous. At times I, I thought I would have nothing to say to you. Considering texting Pastor Derek and saying, man, I need an extension on this sabbatical. I'm a mess. I was empty, I was broken, I was depressed, I was dark. And I, I questioned the same question that the psalmist offers with much sincerity and contemplation from where does my help come from? Also, I've thought about this moment and considered sharing about mercy with you. Because I've asked for mercy these last three to four months, unlike any other time in my life. I think I've asked for mercy for the first time in my life. I've asked for grace many times. I've asked for forgiveness many times. But when something pushes you beyond your capacity and ability, the only thing you can ask for is mercy. Mercy means an awful lot to me today. And I'm thankful that God's mercy is more, as we sing, and that his mercies don't take sabbaticals or days off either. His mercies are new every morning, which is beautiful because every morning and every day brings its own challenges and struggles to us, and we face them. But his mercy meets us there. Over these last several months and even over these past six weeks, loss, need, and heartache, and brokenness, and death continues to roll on. And so I thought, above all else, i got to share with you where our hope comes from. Because each of us face loss and heartache, need and brokenness and death. Over these past few weeks, for the first time in my life, I've resonated with Job. If you're familiar with the book of Job, the suffering man and his truth-telling friends who lacked sympathy and empathy. Over these last few weeks, I've resonated more with Job than with his friends for the first time in my life. It's pretty dark when you read about Job and you resonate with Job. It's pretty dark. And on my sabbatical, I got bit by a snake three times. 
throw that in there. That's fun. You might be thinking your reflexes are slow. Well, had I not had the speed of a mongoose and the reflexes of a freaking cat, I would have probably gotten bit nine times, 12 times, but I am that fast. Um, no. My reflexes, Derek, are not what they used to be. <laughs> I, would have gotten, I would have gotten bit 12 times if I, I mean, I'm the honey badger. I don't care. Bring it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was interesting. But over the summer, I've been refreshed by the Psalms. In our reading plan, by God's grace and his sweet mercy, the reading plan went into the Psalms as I was going through the midst of the most difficult time of my life, plowing through the prophets to get there, and finding myself in the book of Psalms, chapter one, just received like a breath of fresh air, like weight was off my chest and I could take in, I could breathe. And so rather than take a certain Psalm, piggybacking off the uh, summer of the Psalm series, I want to encourage you in a way that I was encouraged. It was probably the week of the fourth. Over the summer, I got up one morning and I compiled a new psalm, sort of a psalm mashup of sorts, where I just took passages from all sorts of different psalms in order to form a narrative flow. And so this psalm was a significant turning point in my life, in my life, not just my summer. This psalm means an awful lot to me. And the, what I'm about to read to you, which is just scripture, this narrative begins with a person sitting in despair and loneliness. Maybe you can relate. I can. Uh, sitting in hopelessness and feeling odd with God. That's where the narrative begins, because this is where I was for much of the past several weeks. And so be encouraged by the reading of the word of God. From Psalm 74, 1 is where we'll start. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from my words of groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. I cry by night, but I find no rest. I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. And all who see me mock me. Be not far from me. Trouble is near. Trouble is close. Don't be far from me. And there's none to help. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Save me. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. The Lord just put this heavy on me throughout the summer. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word let is active participation. Allow this to happen. Receive this courage. As you wait, waiting for the Lord is a way of receiving courage that you're looking for. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me. Answer me. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Turn to me. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. And this next phrase resonated with my anxieties. Because this is often what anxiety is. It's an overinflation, an exaggerated sensation of something that's probably not that big. He says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Would you consider my affliction and my trouble? And this is key. This jumped off the page. And forgive all my sins. Don't just deliver me from my situation. Forgive me of my sins. As for me, I said, oh, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I've sinned against you. And when my iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait. Would you say to my soul, God, would you say to my soul, I am your salvation? Tell me that. Remind me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help For you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from shale, from death, and you restored me to life. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. For he alone, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I shall not be greatly Shaken. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In him my heart trusts. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. When my soul was embittered through my depression... When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish. I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you, and you hold my right hand. Now, one thing I asked of the Lord, and then I'm going to seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in my day of trouble, and he'll conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high on a rock. Hear my cry, O God, and would you listen to my prayer? From the end of the earth is where I feel like I am. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You who've done great things, oh God, who is like you? you? You've made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again from the depths of the earth. 
you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Now, in my panic and my anxiety, I had said in my alarm that I'm cut off from your sight. And you wanted nothing else to do with me. That was the reality that I was functioning from. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Would you love the Lord, all you his saints? Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord and be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Whom have we in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart, my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. But here's why. So that you shall glorify me. So come in here. All who fear God, come in here and I'm going to tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. And if I, had, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God truly has listened and he attended the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he's not rejected my prayer, nor has he removed his steadfast love from me. So let the peoples of God, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God will bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him so that even in old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Proclaim your power to all those to come. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You can summarize the sanctifying valley of the shadow of death in this way. A couple days ago, I mentioned this phrase to Jill as I was considering this summer and reflecting on it. Is I don't always like the hike. I don't always like the hike but I always enjoy the view. If you've hiked to like an overlook, the thorns, the darkness of the coverage of the trees, not being able to see much, looking for the markers on the trees, and making your way across slippery rocks, snakes. It's frustrating at times. You begin to wonder, is this worth it? But then once you reach that overlook, you sit down and you take it in. You're like, wow. That was worth it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. My sweet fellow strugglers and sufferers. Yes, the life, life is a fierce battle, but the Lord of hosts is with us. And he's leading us and he's guiding us and he's teaching us and he's comforting us and he's protecting us. And though it might not feel like he's there and though it might feel that if he's there, he doesn't care. And though it might feel that if he's there, for some reason, he's not doing something about it the way that you want him to. And though he might not always seem friendly. Remember that for the moment in the midst of it, all his discipline and sanctifying work Seems painful, not pleasant. But later, the view, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, who've embraced it. 
Proverbs 3, my son. Think of the familial loving language in these passages. My son, not my enemy, my son. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves, not hates, not as impatient with or frustrated with. He does it as a father to the son in whom he actually delights. Have you forgotten the exhortation that he addresses you as family, as sons and daughters, as his children, reflecting on Proverbs 3? The writer of Hebrews says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, not rejects. And yes, you might be afflicted in every way, but you're not crushed. You may be perplexed, but you've not been driven to despair. You might even be persecuted, but you're not forsaken. And you might be struck down, but you're not destroyed. And yes, God's discipline upon us is heavy at times. Yes, there's spiritual warfare that's raging and it's heavy at times. But for the Christian, both are to drive us to the Father and not away from the Father. And your life might be crashing. It might be falling apart. Your marriage might be on the rocks, ridiculously foolish decisions, addicted to pornography, fighting through DUIs, plagued with debilitating, mind-crushing anxiety frustrated with relationships that fall apart over the smallest of misunderstandings, confused over how to live life, and even considering if life is even worth living anymore. My dear friend, run to the Father. Collapse and fall in His direction. Just fall over towards Him. Wait for the Lord. When you don't know what to do, don't just do something. Wait the Lord and be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because of the work of Jesus, we can all boldly approach him in our time of need, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of the thickest time. He's not angry with you. He is not wrathful towards you. If you would just collapse in his direction, you would experience life-changing peace. Don't fight him. Fear him. And go to him and allow your difficult circumstances that you're in the midst of to drive you to the heart of God where you pour out all of your hurt and your angst and your bitterness and your need and your brokenness and your frustration before him. He's designed to take it. His shoulders can handle it. Give it to him. He won't scare him off. And you're not going to offend him either. Put it all out there on the table. Lay it all out there. I'm telling you, that's the best way to live life. I've barely made it. I've barely made it through the last six to eight weeks of my life. And the barely making it was Jesus and his sweet spirit keeping me, holding me fast. And when you feel, friend, when you feel like you're hanging on by a thread, you've got to realize that thread is Jesus. And it's steel. And it's unbreakable. And you're not holding on to it. He's holding on to you. And the waters of affliction might be rough and deep, but his grace is deeper still. And my friends, this is what I've learned this summer. My struggles, my anxieties, my depression, my fears, my confusion, my, my brain fog. I'm telling you clearly and honestly this. He abides. He abides. He promised to abide with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us. And I'm telling you, he keeps his promises.
I'm sure that neither life nor death, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's what's so wild about all this. You and I, we don't deserve anything that we've just heard. Because we're sinners, rebels. We read it in our plan, our reading plan for those who are following along with us in our journey through scripture this year. We read it last week in Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks forgiveness. This is our resume. This is talking about you. This is talking about me. This is all of us. Put your name at the top. This is your resume. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There, here's a picture. He just describes this a little bit. Their throat is an open grave. If he exaggerated, it would be worse. He's holding back for how really, truly wicked and broken we are. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the ways of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Signed, Jeremy Rose. That's me. That's you. Because of our sin and our rebellion, both by birth and by choice, we deserve nothing but judgment and wrath. Yet, we get comfort, love, and a relationship, friendship with God. It's not because God now grades on a curve suddenly. It's not because he's tolerating some of our sinfulness that he's allowing us in. Never, 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 never. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The bar is perfection or nothing. It's because Jesus Christ came to us, stepping into human history 2,000 years ago. That is why we have love and relationship with God and not wrath and judgment. You see, Jesus came to live as our representative, living as us, yet without sin, for his 33 years of life, remaining perfect in every way. And not only did he live perfectly for us, but he came not to judge us, but to be judged for us in our place, taking full responsibility for our sinfulness and all the consequences that come with it. The Bible calls this the substitutionary work. It calls it propitiation, a unique word that means wrath sponge. There's a sponging effect to this term, wrath sponge, responsibility taker, judgment absorber. He didn't have to. He wanted to because his father loved us and loves us and he loved us and loves us. John 3, 16 and following talks about it. For God so loved the world, that's why, that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not eternally perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn and further shame the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. And there's no difference, there's no distinction. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the bar of perfection the bar of the glory of God, and, not but, and we are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood and death to be received by us by faith. Your entire life, present life and eternal life can be changed by simply believing and having faith in what you've just heard about Jesus Christ. You can have your sins forgiven because of Jesus. You can have peace with God because of Jesus. You can have a relationship with your creator because of Jesus. You can have no fear in life because of Jesus. You can have no fear in death because of Jesus. You can look at death with a smile and give it a wink because you know it's just a passage to true life, eternal life, being present with Jesus Christ. But you got to believe Jesus. Call out to him in your heart and your mind right now where you sit and you tell him that you believe him, that you need him, that you want him to forgive you of your sins and that you believe that what he did, he did for you. My sweet friend, God loves you. And he wants you to know him as loving and forgiving father. And this is possible because Jesus knew him as righteous judge already in your place for you. Jesus took on the finger pointing judgment and wrath so that you could get the hug and the love and the relationship. Do not dismiss Jesus. Do not dismiss Jesus, my friend. Do not disbelieve Jesus. You receive Jesus. Believe Jesus. And my friends who aren't Christians yet, believe Jesus. Don't live without him and don't die without him. And to my friends who are Christians and you're vibrant and strong in spirit and faith and life, tenderly and tactfully encourage your weak-hearted friends. There's a lot of us. Gently, courageously, carefully encourage us. And my friends who are Christians and are weak-hearted and weary, overwhelmed and in a dark season of the soul, man, I get you. And the Lord is near you. And he's working something in you through this that if you could only see, it would make it more bearable. There is more going on than you realize. I've learned that this year. And I pray that you've been encouraged in some way. I'm praying for you. And I ask that you pray for me. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.